Welcome to Truth Pod, the podcast that proclaims the truth of God's Word without shame or apprehension, where the Bible is the last word on any subject. I'm Russell, your host. Welcome back to Truth Pod, my weekly podcast where I talk about the Word of God and how it relates to our lives. Thank you so much for downloading this podcast. We have a lot of people in our nation who want to badmouth this country. But in spite of their moaning and groaning, I still believe this is the greatest country to live in. The United States has emerged as the world's most generous country in a new study that looks at global giving over 10 years, says Charity Aid Foundation. The United States has emerged as the world's most generous country. I like that. We still enjoy many freedoms other nations do not experience. We can pray in public without fear. Try it sometimes. We can go to church of our choice. Go to the church of our choice. We can work for whatever career we train for and so many, many blessings. Yeah, we have our problems, our struggles, moments of unrest. But if we will focus more on prior things I've mentioned Maybe we'll appreciate this country a lot more. God bless America. Each week for the past few months, I've been selecting hymns of worship or worship songs that talk about the cross and what Jesus did for us there. These songs are full of meaning and truth. The following song I've selected had for years been a favorite of mine. I first heard it sung by Jimmy Swaggart. He was certainly anointed when he sang this song. If you can find it, give it a listen. It's called A Crown of Thorns, written by Ira Stanfield. There was no crown for him of silver or of gold. There was no diadem for him to hold. But blood adorned his brow, and proud its stains he bore. And sinners gave to him the crown he wore. A rugged cross became his throne his kingdom was in hearts alone he wrote his love in crimson red and wore the thorns upon his head he did not reign upon a throne of ivory but died upon the cross of calvary for sinners there he counted all he owned but loss and he surveyed his kingdom from a cross no pur- purple robe he wore his bleeding wounds to hide But stripes upon his back he wore with pride, and from the wounds there flowed a crimson cleansing stream that was covered for the soul unclean. Have you ever heard heard of any songs that I've not mentioned? I'd love to hear about them. Just email me at truthpod at yahoo.com. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for what Jesus did at the cross. I don't think we can talk about it enough. I don't think that we know all that we need to know about the cross yet, Father. I believe that even in eternity we will learn about Calvary and what Jesus did for us there and and gain a deeper appreciation for what he accomplished for us. Father, thank you for my listeners, those who uh, download this podcast. I appreciate them. I pray your blessings be upon them, Father. I pray your touch upon upon this podcast and your anointing. In Jesus' name, amen. This is my 33rd study in the series I've titled, 
Road to Golgotha. When I started this series, I wanted to do a thorough job with it. I wanted to talk about things I hadn't heard anyone else talk about. That's a tall order considering the fact that it's been around for 2,000 years. Of course, there are things I failed, failed to talk about, like the man bearing a pitcher of water on his head, whom Jesus said would show his disciples the prepared room for him and his disciples. I didn't talk about that. Um, I didn't talk about where he turned to the ladies, you know, the women who saw him bearing his cross, and he said, don't weep for me, but weep for yourselves. You know, I didn't talk about that. So there's some things, you know, that I, I myself have omitted. But I've tried to cover other meaningful parts without rushing. Hopefully, you have gleaned something from the studies that made you pause and think. It is difficult for any interpreter to fathom all that went on in the death of Jesus on the cross. It certainly was attended by supernatural occurrences and some remarkable events. The death of Jesus is not only the climax of the gospel narrative, but more so it is the climax of the purpose of God for the person of Jesus. To die for mankind is precisely what he came to do. Let us turn to scripture. Matthew 27, 45-49 in the English Standard Version says this, Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, This man is calling for Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. The darkness. Jesus was crucified at nine o'clock in the morning, and from nine until noon he hung in the light. But at noon a miraculous darkness covered the land. What do you think of when you read about darkness in the Bible? Well, the first time darkness is mentioned in the Bible is in Genesis 1 and 2. English Standard Version says this, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. There was another time there were three days of darkness over Egypt. Can you imagine three days of darkness? Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand. This is Exodus 10, 21, 22, in case I didn't mention it. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. Think about that, a darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt, three days. A darkness to be felt. That's a strange way to put it. Apparently, even when they lit a candle, its light could not be seen. That is dark. This darkness brings fear with it. It's as if it touches the very soul. Light cannot be found no matter how hard it is searched for. I believe that the darkness spoken of here by Matthew is supernatural darkness. 
not a physical one, as a sandstorm or an eclipse, not something that can be explained by a natural phenomenon. Jesus had spoken at least three times before this darkness fell. While they were crucifying him, he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, Luke 23, 34. He had spoken to the repentant thief and assured him a place in paradise, Luke 23, 39-43. He had also given his mother into the care of his beloved disciple, John, John 19, 18-27. But when the darkness came, Jesus was silent for three hours. Psalm 22, 2 says this, O oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. That's the first three hours, okay? Then it goes on to say, and by night, but I find no rest. Psalm 22, 2. Maybe this darkness is more than we realize. Maybe this darkness is the darkness of our sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For our sake he made himself to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We take sin for granted, don't we? It's not that big of a deal. After all, this is the 21st century. Who talks about sin anymore? Some, something, or something has to be outrageous before we even call it evil. School shootings, church shootings. It seems like this is about the only thing the media will recognize as evil. But is there more? What about rape? Incest? Adultery? Murder? Blaspheming? Coveting? Lust? Idolatry? Theft? And so many other things I can mention. But you get the idea. We act as if these things are not that important anymore. Someone tell me, when did God change his mind about these things? Maybe darkness is covering the whole land because Jesus is being covered with the sins of man. Remember, he never committed a sin. He was perfect, completely sinless never once yielding to any temptation. I tell you, there are times when I'm tempted and it doesn't take much effort on the part of the enemy to get me to fall. I don't know about you. Maybe you're stronger. I tell you, sometimes just the slightest whisper and I'm up. You know, I'm running. I'm going for it. I fall that quickly, that easy. You know, but Jesus never fell. Someone cuts me off in traffic. I'm ready to get them back. Oh, I'll show them. I'll get up in front of them. They have their lights blinding me and they're behind me and they're blinding me, you know, and they're on bright. And I, you know, and as uh, soon as they're in front of me, I've got mine on bright. I'm blinding them. You know, someone takes advantage of me. I want revenge. I know I'm not the only one. You wrestle with the same things. It's the sixth hour. And all of my sins are being placed on Jesus. Even the sins I have never committed yet. That's, that's astonishing to think about. Even the sins I have never committed yet have been placed on Jesus. 
No wonder darkness is covering him. It's the best description. There is nothing good about sin. Oh, I know it looks good. When we are being tempted, Satan has a way of making it looking look appetizing, you know, at the beginning, you know. He's had a lot of practice, so he knows how to tempt even the holiest of people. Let me just be honest with you. My flesh likes what Satan has to offer. It's like offering me chocolate. Very hard to refuse. But sin destroys us. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. I like what the rest of it says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Isaiah 53.6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Maybe you haven't thought about this, but all of this foreign substance called sin is at this moment on the cross covering the body of Jesus. Okay, I say foreign substance because he's never sinned. He doesn't know what sin's like. He hasn't experienced sin. He doesn't have any clue because he's the son of God. He's pure and perfect, you know, sinless. According to the justice of God at this moment, Jesus is considered a rapist, a murderer, an adulterer, a racist, and whatever sin that has been committed by any human being, past, present, and future. Now, I know you might get up in arms. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You're saying Jesus is a rapist, a murderer, an adultery? Isn't that sacrilege, blasphemy? <laughs> Um, I'm saying that in the just at the at this moment, according to the justice of God, God sees Jesus covered in my sin of whatever it may be, in your sin of whatever it may be, and He is being judged from you and I. It's not a pleasant thought. It's about as contrary as we can get in our comprehension of the matter. But he is the Lamb of God. All those little lambs that were offered in the Old Testament were just examples that Jesus would one day fulfill. This is the only way you and I could. This is the only way. You and I could not save ourselves. Even when we repent of our sins, we're still prone to go back to them. So they would take these little lambs. And before uh, they would sacrifice the lambs. The priest would pray over these lambs, the sins of the people. And it was like he was, you know, placing the sins on these little lambs. And then they would slit their throats. And the blood would drain into a basin. They would take that basin and they'd take hyssop, which is a uh, tree, leaves, you know. And, and they'd take that and, and then they'd dip it into that blood and they would sprinkle the altar with it. All of these things were symbols and signs of what Jesus was going to do and fulfill. 1 Peter 3.18 and the ESV says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Hebrews 9.28 in the English Standard Version says this, So Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many, you and I, 
will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. This is a one-time deal. He is not continually being sacrificed for sins. He did it here at the cross, and this sacrifice would be sufficient to satisfy the justice of God. It's a one-time deal. He's no longer on that cross, people. You might see in in some hospitals, you go on in the hospitals, you see a cross there and he's hanging on the cross. He's not still on the cross. It's, it's empty. The cross, he's off the cross, okay? One-time deal. He paid for sins once and for all. Never were there uh, three such hours since the day God created man upon the earth. Never such a dark and awful scene. It was the turning point of that great affair, man's redemption and salvation. This should once and for all show us how far sin will go. You and I deserve our punishment for sin whenever we receive it. But Jesus in his perfection and innocence has taken our judgment upon himself. Now we can be forgiven. When I was uh, reading what I just wrote, I uh, was thinking about getting a spanking when I was a kid. I deserved most of those spankings. Okay, maybe all of them. <laughs> I deserved them. Um, my dad was not uh, gentle in his delivery of said spankings. <laughs> uh, and they hurt. I danced. Um, you know, but I deserved them. Because I had broken his law, his, you know, his rules. I had disobeyed him or my mom, whichever the case was. Jesus here is taking all of my sins on himself at the cross. All of them have been placed on him. You could say that all everything that you could think of that's ugly, okay? Everything that you could think of that is just ugly and repulsive and you wouldn't want to be around it, wouldn't want anything to do with it, is being placed on him. That's the description of sin, okay? That's what's happening here. It's all being placed on him on the cross because he is a sacrificial lamb. It's all being laid upon him. So that's why I mentioned earlier about rapist and racist and adulterer and whatever sin you could think of. Whatever sin, whatever sin from A to Z is being placed upon Jesus right now. It's a once for all deal and it's all consuming. So it's everything, everything is being placed on Jesus. When you and I ask Jesus to forgive our sins and we receive what he did at the cross for us, God is no longer obligated to judge us because Jesus in the sixth hour took our judgment upon himself. See, judgment is passed over us because Jesus suffered for us. 
God is no longer obligated to judge us because Jesus took us, took our sin on the cross. He suffered in our place. He died for us, you know, the innocent for the guilty. He traded places with us. I don't think you and I could find greater love than that. I don't think you and I could find greater love. I mean, that boy who thinks that girl loves him or vice versa, and they think, oh, this is this is everything, and they can no longer eat, and oh, they lose sleep, and you know what I mean, and all that stuff. And you remember, that's not love compared to this. Nothing. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Whoever. I love that part because that includes me. I love that part because that includes you. I love that part because that includes anyone I look at out here when I'm at the mall, when I'm at the gas station, when I'm at work, it includes that individual. Whoever, whoever believes in him could have eternal life. I mean, he just, it, he made it that simple. He made it that simple. He made it that easy. It wasn't an easy price. It wasn't an easy sacrifice, but he made it that way for you and I so that we could have eternal life. He's amazing. He's amazing. No wonder John Newton can write in the great hymn, Amazing Grace, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. All because of what Jesus did for you and I, right? during this hour of darkness, this hour of taking our sins upon himself. No wonder he grew silent. As I mentioned earlier, it, it was foreign. He, he had never sinned. He didn't know what this, these feelings were like. He was silent. My sins, your sins, covering him. In the eyes of God, he, he is now becoming a sinner. In the eyes of God the Father, he's becoming a sinner. Or he is a sinner. And he's depraved. He has all the depravity of man on him. Everything from Adam and Eve to the last person who will draw their last breath on planet Earth. All the sins of man are on him. No one else could have done it. No one else could have done it because he had to be sinless. And he was. There was no other sinless individual. There was no perfect individual. That's why we promote the cross of Christ. That's why we talk about Jesus being the only way to heaven. Because no one else could do it. Muhammad wasn't sinless. Buddha wasn't sinless. Krishna wasn't sinless. All of these were born in sin. 
Jesus was not born in sin. He was sinless, without sin. He was the spotless lamb. John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Takes it on himself. Takes it on himself. This should move you and I to our knees. Cause us to realize how evil our sin is. No matter how small we think it is, it cost Jesus, the Son of God, his life. It's not taken lightly in the eyes of God as I'm guilty of taking it lightly. What will you do with what you've heard today? Will it move you to repent of your sins? Will it cause you to deeply think about your life and where it's going? What are you going to do? Will you wake up and go another day without calling on Jesus? Will you start another day tomorrow without repenting of your sins? And do you want to continue to carry that load yourself? My friend, if you carry that load to the grave, your sins to the grave, you will pay the price yourself. Okay? That's, that's the truth about the matter. If you carry the sin, your sins to the grave, then you will pay for your sins before God and you will be judged. Or, as I mentioned, you can fall to your knees. You can accept what Jesus did at the cross for you and say, I believe, Jesus, you suffered in my sins, for my sins, rather. You suffered in my place for my sins so that I could have eternal life. Therefore, I believe I can be forgiven and I receive your forgiveness for me. I believe what you did at Calvary was for me. And then your sins will be lifted from you because he has paid your sins. It's up to you and I. God will not force us. He will not grab us by the nap of the neck and say, you repent or else. No, it's your choice. You can either pay for your sins yourself or you can receive the gift where Jesus has already paid for your sins. It's up to you. Only you can do it. Only you can receive Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Appreciate you joining me today and listening to this podcast, and I hope that it has had impact on you. Next week, we will continue on the road to Golgotha. Let me end this podcast by asking you this question. Do you know Jesus as your personal Savior? If not, you can. He loves you and wants you to be a part of his family. The first thing for you to do is admit you're a sinner, and you cannot save yourself. Second, believe that he died for you and ask him to forgive your sins. Third, thank him for saving you and commit to living the rest of your life for him. 
If you have any questions or prayer requests, just email me at truthpod at yahoo.com.